Well, welcome, and uh, welcome to a new year and a new series. And the series is called Overcoming Obstacles. And as Andy mentioned earlier, we're thinking about those obstacles to our relationship with God. Uh, we talk about having a relationship with God. We talk about being transformed as we come to know the glorious love of the Trinity. And, uh, and yet the reality is we can kind of affirm the, the concept. We can cheer it. We can celebrate it. And then quietly to ourselves, we can say, yeah, but for me, I struggle with this. And what we're going to do for these next four weeks is think about some of those, yeah, but in my case, there's a problem. And we're going to try to address some of those, not in an exhaustive way that's going to kind of solve everything forever, but hopefully in a way that's going to point us in the right direction and also ignite some conversation between us. Because ultimately, growth and life and health isn't going to be something that happens privately for us as individuals. It's going to happen corporately as we interact with each other. And so uh, we've got this set of values as a church. We mention them periodically. Uh, It's 11 values that kind of drive who we are and what we do. And they're divided into three groups. And they're on the the pull-up banner over here, loving God, loving one another, loving our neighbors. And so what we do as a church three times a year is what we call a value series where we take one of these groups and we focus in on it. So this value series at the start of the year is about loving God. And so if you were to look on the website and see what the values are specifically, it's things like pursuing God in the Bible, responding to God or expressing our response in prayer and worship. It's about reflecting God's character in every area of our lives. And we're not going to focus on those in particular. We're going to say, let's think about a relationship with God and some of those obstacles, some of those barriers that we feel to our intimacy with God. Okay, so uh, let me just run through what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. Hopefully this will entice you uh, to come back and to get the others as well. We're going to think about doubt. I'm sure a lot of us struggle with doubt and doubts in various ways. We're going to talk about doubt. We're going to talk about the unhelpful ways that we compare ourselves with one another. And it's a real blessing to have lots of other people around, but sometimes uh, they can be a problem when we start comparing ourselves with them. And so we're going to think about comparison. We're going to think next week about fear and anxiety. And some of you are thinking, hang on, yep, yep, yep. You've got me on all three so far. Uh, And for some, it will just be some issues more than others. And today we're going to think about guilt, guilt and shame. Uh, And as we were planning this series, we were thinking about how all of these areas, all of these things that we're going to look at, can be real obstacles for us. Things that really kind of hinder us from having the relationship with God that we would like to have. And so let's think about guilt this afternoon. Guilt. I'm sure all of us uh, have some vague notion of what guilt is. Guilt is that uh, response to sin. It's the response to conviction. In fact, let me just uh, help us out here because we are visual beings. Just in case you forget what we're talking about. There we go. Guilt is the, uh, the response to something that is wrong. So, for example, when we sin, we are then guilty. And I think it's helpful to distinguish between guilt that is felt and guilt that is, if you like, objective. So if I'm driving down the road and I'm driving at 85 miles an hour on the M4 and the camera flashes and they get my, my registration number, 
I may not be aware that I was driving too fast. I may not feel anything, but I still get the letter through the post and I am guilty of speeding. I've not been caught at 85, but I have received a letter through the post uh, for speeding. And, and, and when you get that, then there's a feeling of guilt, right? There's a feeling that comes, but the guilt was already there. So there's the objective guilt, the actual guilt. Yes, I am guilty whether I know it or not, whether I feel it or not. But there is also the subjective, the feeling of being guilty, And then when we come to the Bible, just after the passage that Mary read in Romans 5, in Romans 8, we get this verse. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing verse. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? When you think about the guilt in your life that you're aware of, let alone the stuff you're unaware of, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of us have grown up around churches. We've grown up coming to church and hearing uh, the message of, of the gospel preached to us. I remember singing hymns before I knew what the words meant. No condemnation now Uh, I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him my living head and clothed with righteousness divine. I didn't have a clue what that meant when I was singing that as a six, seven-year-old. But it's a biblical truth. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the objective guilt of our sins taken care of by Jesus. And actually the subjective guilt too taken care of. That's an amazing truth. But there's a problem, and the problem is that for many of us, while we may know it, we don't feel it. And we may say, yes, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can celebrate it. We can sing about it. Maybe you've mentioned it in in Bible studies. Maybe you've preached about it. But even so, there's still a sense inside of, yeah, but I still feel guilty. There's something that still not right. Guilt is a huge and a challenging concept for us to to think about. Let me just pause before we really drive into it more deeply and just mention that when we're talking about the subjective guilt, the guilt that we feel, there's probably two sorts of subjective guilt. There's legitimate and there's false. Now, legitimate guilt is where you know, you've know you sinned and someone says something or the spirit convicts you and you go, yep, I oh, wish I hadn't done that, I feel bad about that. That's an appropriate feeling of guilt. Let's be careful that we don't miss the fact you can have false guilt. How? Well, we're in a world that's fallen. Sin has affected absolutely everything. Sin has affected the the mind and the way that we think, so we shouldn't fully trust our thinking. Sin has affected our bodies so that our bodies are dying. Sin has affected everything about us, including our conscience, which means that our conscience is not automatically trustworthy. Some of us will have a conscience that is quite hardened, sort of uh, calcified. It's got a crust on it. And we can do things that are wrong and not feel anything doesn't mean that we're not guilty. 
The truth is, guilty of sin. The feeling, when you have a hardened or a seared conscience, is nothing, I'm fine. And God works on that in us. He softens us by his spirit. He works on us through one another. As people say, you know, that probably wasn't an appropriate way to speak to your spouse. Maybe you hurt her feelings. And the, the kind of the conversations that we have with one another can help us to deal with the fact that for some of us, our consciences are seared. They're hard. But for others, our consciences are like an overripe banana. It's just anything sparks it. And I I just want to make a comment about that because a few years ago, uh, before we lived here, I lived near somebody who was absolutely gripped by an overactive conscience that was just a huge problem where every situation, every circumstance led to all sorts of doubts and fears and I, I probably probably said something wrong or I probably lied without knowing it or I probably and this person was absolutely crippled by an overactive conscience false guilt just crowding in and throw in uh, an enemy of our souls who wants to accuse us and make us feel bad and you've got a recipe for disaster if you are somebody with a conscience that's like an overripe banana let me encourage you you need to talk to God about it But you also need to talk to other people. Not everybody, but find somebody that you trust. Somebody that is walking close with the Lord, who's in his word, whose discernment and whose perspective you trust so that you can say to them, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Can you you just give give me some perspective? And have someone that you trust who can say to you, you know what? That's that banana thing going crazy there because confess it to God if you want, but you've got to move on. You're getting carried away with that. Now, having said that, that it's possible to have an, uh, an overripe conscience, if you like, to be kind of uh, overcharged and overreactive, the next thing I'm going to say is probably going to feel like a contradiction to that, but I don't think it is. And that is that actually our sin is way worse than we realize. When you get to Romans 8 and it says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that should bring you to your knees with tears on your face if you followed everything that Paul has written earlier in Romans. Because what we discover is that uh, it's an amazing thing about Christianity. As you draw close to God, you find out that you're sinful. You spend time in his word, you discover that you're sinful. You spend time in prayer, he reveals more and more of the depths and the dark corners and the recesses of our hearts and our souls. It's, it's like buying a house and just going into the basement and every time you go in, you find more junk and more cobwebs and, and more dirt and more mess. And the amazing thing is that the more you discover, it doesn't make you run from God, it makes you run to him because he's the only one that can deal with it. Let me read you a couple of verses in in Romans chapter 3. I'm going to just jump a little bit in Romans today. But in Romans 3 verse 23 it says this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody. There's no one righteous, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. What that means is when Jesus died on the cross 
and he shed his blood. He shed his blood as a payment for the penalty for our sins, all of them. And the amazing thing is that as a Christian, you discover, uh, you, you come to Christ in the first place, perhaps convicted about sin in your life. Let's, let's imagine there's a currency of sin. And you owe God, you realize, I owe God 10 sins and I can never pay back 10 sins. And you come to the cross and you fall before Jesus and you say, oh Lord, I need you to forgive me. You died in my place. You've paid the penalty for my sin. And you confess that to him and your 10 sins are dealt with. Actually, all your sins are dealt with, but you, you're thinking about 10 And then you spend time in the word and you spend time with other Christians and you spend time praying and and the spirit works in you and just shines a light and you discover, oh, I thought I was a 10 sin person, but I'm a 100 sin person. Oh God, I'm a 100 sin person. And you bring it back and, and you discover that the blood that Jesus shed on the cross was perfect and it's sufficient to pay for every sin. The ones we know about, the ones we don't know about, the ones we've done, the ones we've thought, the ones we've imagined, the ones we would have done if we could. Everything is dealt with. And you bring it to God and you praise him. I'm forgiven fully, finally, freely, forever. This is amazing. And then you spend time in the word and you spend time in prayer and you spend time singing worship and songs and you spend time with other Christians and you discover, oh my goodness, I'm a thousand sin Christian. There's all this yuck in me. There's all this stuff in me that I didn't even know was there. And you come back and you bring the thousand sin dead and discover that that's been paid and the 10,000 sin dead and the 10,000 times 10,000 sin dead because the blood of Christ washes away the guilt of our sins completely. We're forgiven fully, finally, freely, forever. We're completely forgiven. And it makes us want to sing and it makes us want to celebrate and we praise God. And then quietly, deep down inside, there's that little nagging voice. Yeah, but I don't feel it. There's still something wrong. So what I want to do this afternoon is introduce you to something that maybe you've never thought about before, maybe you have, but it's something that I think could be helpful as a conversation starter for us as we celebrate the fact that Jesus has paid the price for our sin and yet maybe help to explain why we still feel distant from God. In the Old Testament, there's this... uh, event that took place. It's described in Leviticus 16. You can look at it later if you want, but it's the culmination of a whole sequence of laws that God gave uh, to the nation of Israel. His people, they were out in the wilderness. There's probably a couple of million people in this huge camp And they had all these rules and regulations and guidelines and feasts and festivals and parties and all these things that were going on. But there was one day that was different and marked out from all the others. It was the Day of Atonement, the 10th day of the seventh month. The Jews refer to it as Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, this was the highest and holiest and most serious day of the year. And the whole nation would gather and they would, they would fast. It was the only day they were required to not eat. And so you can just imagine the kind of the seriousness of this as the entire nation is gathered. And the priest, the high priest, would have two goats. And he would have these two goats to uh, deal with, in the Old Testament kind of way, in, in anticipation of Christ, to deal with sin. 
So the first goat would be taken and the throat would be slit and the blood would come out and it's absolutely gross and that's kind of the point because the wages of sin is death. There has to be a penalty when there's guilt. There has to be punishment and the goat is taking the place of the nation and the blood is taken from the goat and the high priest would go in and sprinkle it in the Holy of Holies and in all the different parts of the tabernacle which is this kind of tent where God's presence was dwelling in the midst of the people. It was a picture of how blood is needed to deal with and to cover the sins. And the people would stand and they would watch and they would think and they would know about what was going on. It was guilt dealt with. But that wasn't the end of the story. The high priest would then come to the second goat And he placed his hands on the head of the second goat. And over the second goat, he would confess all the sins of the entire nation. Like every sin, every transgression, every iniquity, everything that they'd done wrong. He would do a kind of big bundle, wrap it up kind of prayer and put it onto the head of the goat. And the second goat would then be led off into the wilderness. Somebody was there, that was their job. They'd lead the goat and they would go and they would walk and they would keep going. And you'd stand there in the crowd and you'd watch, uh, first of all, as the high priest prayed, you'd hear the confession. Then you'd see the goat heading off until it's just a speck in the distance and it would keep going off into the wilderness. And eventually, the person leading that goat would feel like, right, I've gone far enough. This goat is never going to find its way back. And maybe lead the goat to a little shrub somewhere, get it distracted and leave it and come back. And that was a picture for the people. Not only is our guilt dealt with, not only is sin paid for by a sacrifice that sheds its blood, but also our sin is carried away. As far as the east is from the west, our sin is removed from us by God. God says uh, that our sins are taken and thrown into the deepest part of the sea. Was it Corrie ten Boom, Melanie was telling me, said, and then he puts up a sign that says no fishing. It's gone, it's gone, it's gone. It's not just paid for, it's gone. If you like, forgiven and forgotten, although forgotten's an awkward word. Chosen to remember no more, right? You see, I think the reason there are two goats is because there's two aspects to the consequences of sin. And in our culture, we focus on this one. But I want us to think about the fact that maybe we need to focus on both. The second one is this. Shame. Guilt is about crime and punishment. It's about justice. Shame is about relationship. Honor, dignity. And some cultures focus more on guilt and some, focus, uh, some cultures focus more on shame. We live in a culture that's much more guilt-focused. Now, I think that the Bible deals with both. I think maybe God's design of us is that both should be the mechanisms in play, but we tend to be pulled in one direction or the other. Now, what I want to suggest for us today is that perhaps even though we are in a guilt, a crime and punishment, justice and law kind of culture, maybe part of the problem with the the struggle we still feel is that we're not recognizing the shame aspect of sin in our lives. 
You see, if the problem is simply guilt, then there's a penalty to be paid. And if the penalty is paid and everything's sorted and the record is clean, no problem. I got a t- letter through the post. I needed to pay a fine or else I you know, have three points on the license. I've paid the fine. The years have passed. My record's clean. I'm not bothered about what happened anymore because in this culture, I'm a good driver. But other cultures are much more concerned with shame loss of face, loss of dignity. And, and for, for shame to be overcome requires something different than simply the payment of penalty. It requires a reconciliation of relationship. It requires somebody to come in to mediate and to say, you know, when he did that, he, f- he feels terrible about what he did and I'm speaking to you on his behalf and would you please restore him to what he was before. And, and it's a whole different dynamic. And to us, it's a little bit weird. You know, to us, it's a little bit foreign. Maybe the only place you've ever really come across this is in that wonderful genre of films, movies, called martial arts movies, right? That reflect the Eastern culture more. And what happens in every... I'll just save you about 4,000 films right now. What happens in every single martial arts movie? Somebody kills someone. His brother finds first person who killed his brother and says, you killed my brother, which is kind of code for, I'm about to beat you up. Right? And then there's this big old fight and then he wins and everything's solved because it's all about shame. You brought shame on my family, I am going to restore my family's dignity. It's kind of simple, but it's something that to us feels distant. It's something a little bit alien. It's something that isn't part of our culture. In our culture, you commit a crime, you pay the price. And it's kind of dealt with. The issue is what happened. In other cultures, it's about the loss of face and the loss of connection and the loss of trust, and it's much more of a relational thing. And and we can look at that kind of a culture sometimes and say, oh, they don't get it. They don't do things right. Because in that kind of a culture, somebody can do something wrong and then refuse to admit it. And we're thinking from over here, come on, admit it, and I'll forgive you. And from their perspective, they're thinking, I've lost face already I'll lose face even more if I talk about it I need somebody else to speak on my behalf and we look at that from the west and go what are you doing admit what you did I'll forgive you and they're thinking oh I can't I can't talk to this person now because I've lost face and and I'll pretend like nothing's gone wrong and and then we're looking at it and they're looking and we get all this confusion between cultures We look at these cultures sometimes and say, what's the deal with all the corruption and all the bribery and all of that stuff? Because to us, it's just black and white, obvious. You don't pay bribes. But in a culture where it's all about dignity and honor and not losing face, then sometimes bribes become part of the way they function and they don't even feel they're doing anything wrong. Why? Because it's about me making you happy to get what I need. And, and there's a whole dynamic there that's just foreign to us, but it's not foreign to God. God knows that we need to have our sins paid for and we need to have relationship restored. God knows that our problem is far greater than we even realize, but praise God, his solution is far more complete than we tend to realize too. You see, the cross deals with both sides. On the cross, Jesus shed his blood and paid the price for justice to pay for our sins so that our guilty record is wiped clean and he mediated between us and God. 
to give us honor that we don't deserve, to bring us back into fellowship with God that we've wronged, and to be brought back not as someone who doesn't deserve to be there and who's guilty and is some sort of legal fiction, but as somebody who's accepted because they're in Christ because of the connection that exists. You see, the gospel deals with the whole thing. And I think our problem, not the exclusive problem, but part of our problem is that we think this is everything. I've confessed my sin. I've been forgiven for my sin. Why am I still struggling? Maybe it's because of shame. Shame is that thing within us that says, I'm still dirty. Shame is the thing that says, if you knew who I really am, you would hate me and spit in my face. And shame is something that... that, that lingers within whether we recognize it or not. And there's two kinds of shame. There's the shame that we deserve, and there's a whole thing uh, that we could call undeserved shame. Shame of being abused, of being hurt by others, whether it's sexual or physical or, or verbally uh, treated and demeaned in some way. And no matter how much we confess our sin, we still feel dirty because of what was done to us for some people the weight of that is almost too much to bear but Jesus gets that and Jesus doesn't simply wipe our record clean and then bring us as dirty people into the presence of God he restores us he honors us, he glorifies us he dignifies us he says you are valuable because you're united to me and in Christ there is no condemnation No guilt, no shame, it's dealt with. Let's look at the passage, where's my Bible? Let's look at the passage that Mary read and just walk through that and recognize that biblically, God is dealing with both sides of this picture. He deals with guilt and he deals with shame. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified means that the guilt is dealt with. Since we have a clean record before God by faith, we never earn it, it's simply something given when we trust, we have peace with God. The shame is gone. We we have peace with God. There's no tension between us. Isn't that amazing that if you were to die right now and you die as a Christian with your faith and trust in Christ, you can go into the very throne room of God and there is no tension about you being there. There's no awkwardness. There's no how did he get in. You belong. Because we have been justified and the shame has been dealt with, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access, again by faith, into this grace in which we stand. Our position is a place of grace before God. All of his goodness is toward us. And and therefore, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We don't fear being with him. We anticipate it and actually we also rejoice now in the tough times because even the tough stuff now is is shaping us and preparing us and making us what he wants us to be. People eager to run into his presence and this hope, verse 5, does not put us to shame. Isn't that beautiful? The hope that we have to stand before God, there's no shame. Why? Because our clean record, yes, and... Because God's love 
has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given to us. God doesn't just deal with our records so that legally we have a good standing. He does that. But he also deals with who we are so that relationally we belong with Christ before his Father. The love of God poured out into our hearts by the Spirit, reassuring us time and again, day after day, you're loved, you're accepted, you belong, you're mine. Wonderful truth. He goes on to talk about how uh, unlikely it is that you would die for somebody else, but Jesus did that. Come down to verse 9. While we were still sinners, while we were still God's enemies, we've This has been done for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, that's the guilt dealt with, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, again the penalty that is deserved. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled, we were brought back together to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Notice how Paul keeps coming back to the reconciled, reconciled, no shame, no shame. You're reconciled. You were enemies, but now you have peace with God. What does this look like practically? Just, uh, we, we don't want to just talk theory. We want to think practically and try to initiate and, and stimulate conversation for ourselves. What does this look like? I think it, it looks like this. It, it means that we need to, we need to speak to God. All right? We need to talk to him about those feelings. Not just the, the kind of uh, on the surface, yes, praise the Lord, thank you for dying for me, Jesus, kind of talk to Jesus. But also talk to him about the Lord, I'm still feeling guilty. Maybe it's shame. I still feel dirty. I still feel like I don't belong. I still feel like I'm not worthy of being accepted. I still feel there's a problem. Talk to him about it. Time and again, the Bible tells us that where there is sin and guilt and shame, the, the response needs to be confession. Talk to God. Secondly, listen to God. It's a relationship, right? And so listen to him soak in his grace. I was talking to Melanie about it. She just said, well, that's the answer, isn't it? We've got to soak in his grace because we don't naturally believe it. We've got to keep coming back to his word, reading the Bible, seeing the heart of God toward us, but also maybe listening to Christian music, you know, singing along to some of the great biblical truths. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Maybe Christian music is going to help to soak in the grace of God when the world around us and the devil and everything else is telling us that we're not good enough, we're bad, we're evil, we're sinful, we're dirty, it doesn't matter. We need to make sure we're listening to God. Speak to him, listen to him. And here's the the third element that I just want to mention. Speak to one another. If we're going to deal with, with the guilt and the shame in our lives and grow beyond it, then church becomes absolutely critical. And often churches have been absolutely unhelpful. You see, in many cases, churches focus entirely on this. And we, we kind of uh, 
confess our sins to God and our records are wiped clean and then we try to keep up appearances. But we know that if people knew what we were like, ooh, we wouldn't be acceptable. We want to be a church that says, you know what, we're a mess. We're guilty, we're shameful people. There's things in our lives that are, that are just gross and dirty and there's something incredibly powerful about coming alongside somebody and saying, would you mind if I just share something that I've been ca- carrying, something that's been heavy for me? Can I just confess to you my sin? And it may not be a sin against that person. But James says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And and having a community where it's safe to just kind of pull back the curtain and take off the mask and say, you know what, I struggle with this. Or I've done this. I feel dirty in this way. can be incredibly powerful. And often it's through one another that God's love can be communicated so tangibly. When we confess and find that the person doesn't reject us, but loves us. When we confess and bear our souls and discover the person says, you know what, God loves you and I love you and God forgives you and thank you for sharing and I feel closer to you now because you've shared that with me. That kind of vulnerability, that kind of realness, I think is part of the reason God's put us together. Not to pretend we've got it all together, because we don't but to be honest about the fact that we're guilty, that we're shamed, we're ashamed, there's shame in our lives, and to instead say, you know what? I want to enjoy and live in the reality of God's forgiveness and God's acceptance, and I need that from you. And I need to share that with you. So that then, together, as a church, we can sing, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we experience it with one another. It's not a complete answer. There's a lot of things we haven't talked about, but I I hope that by introducing the concept of shame as perhaps separated from guilt, it can cause us to probe and think about this more. To to think about, okay, Lord, talk to me through your word. Help me to understand what's going on in my life, in my heart, because I want to be close to you, and I know that you've got to deal with these issues. And then to be real with one another and discover that with one another, we're safe. That there's grace in this place, that we're safe as a community to be real, to be vulnerable, to struggle, and to discover from one another uh, a little taste of the love of God. I want to ask us a question just for literally one minute. And if you're not comfortable with this, just just sit and and listen and the person next to you will chat. But uh, we put the question up, Aaliyah. Um, I've said that in our culture we're much more guilt-driven. And some people are absolutely guilt-driven. But for some, maybe you, you think, actually, I think I need to think more about that one, the shame. There's... I'm not so aware of it, but maybe that's what's going on with me. Maybe that's where I I still feel the distance. And so just a simple question, which one feels like a bigger obstacle for you? I'm not asking you to confess your sins to one another in the next minute. No need to kind of, you know, take out the skeletons from the closet now and encourage you to do that sometime. But but for now, just, just reflect for a moment. Guilt, shame. How, how, how do I feel those? How do, the, how do those words strike me? And maybe you'll say, you know what? I appreciate everything he said about shame, but I am absolutely guilt-gripped. 
It's just good to admit that. Maybe you say, I, I, I think actually I, I do feel that sense of shame. Maybe not for things I've done even, but for what's been done to me. Whatever you want to share, just, just start to think about that just for a minute or so. And then I'm going to come back and rudely interrupt you and introduce uh, communion uh, for us. So let's just ponder that, just reflect a little bit. And let me encourage you, this is just one minute, but please take some time with God and maybe with somebody else this week to just be real to get away from the hubbub and the noise and to continue this conversation at a deeper level. That would be the healthiest thing any of us could do. But for now, let's just get a tiny start and start wrestling with this shame versus guilt just for a minute. Go for it.